So, uh, earlier this week, I was uh, getting my jog on at La Fitness, as I affectionately like to refer, it, refer to it. And I was uh, on the treadmill up, you know, they have a second level and kind of hanging from the ceilings. They have the, the flat screen TVs that are on silent but with subtitles. And I was on a treadmill and to my left was CNN, to my right was ESPN. ESPN's talking about how Des Bryant's getting released from the Cowboys. CNN is a Senate hearing of the president's new pick for Secretary of State. And uh, the current CIA director, a guy named Mike Pompeo. And uh, I kind of gravitate toward the, the subtitles going on. I don't know why I remember this, but Maroon 5... Sugar is playing. Uh, don't judge me for that. I put my pop songs on shuffle, you know, when I run to give me give me some pace. And um, so I'm I'm watching the subtitles, and there's a it's it's a split screen. There's a, a senator on the left, and then the CIA director, the candidate on the right. And as is the case, I guess, in these kind of hearings, the kind of, the way that they approach them, the senator will like basically give a speech to the person they're interviewing and then ask a question like here's my opportunity to talk so I'm going to like squeeze as much in there and he is just waxing and waning and waxing and waning about the the um, the American uh military might, you know, saying, you know, someone in this role needs to understand that they have the force of the the United States uh, military behind them, the greatest military power in the history of humanity and just more and more stuff like that. I'm reading these subtitles and as I watch it, uh, something like starts to rumble in me, like I feel this swell of emotion um, in me. Uh, and, and almost like a crazy person, like in my spirit, um, I have this really deep sense that I almost kind of blurt out out loud, like a uh, like somebody who doesn't you know have good social etiquette or something. That's not my kingdom. Like that's what I was thinking. That is that is not the kingdom that I'm a part of. That's a different value set than the one that I want to live in. Um, that's a different world. I'm not a citizen. Of that world. That is not the world where I give my primary allegiance. Uh, we've been going through 1 Corinthians the last few weeks. And um, Paul, we, so we've just started, Paul is addressing a church that he's planted in Corinth, in Greece. And kind of a similar line of thought um, in his strategy in calling these baby Christians to the way of Jesus again and again in different ways. He's saying to them, uh, when you guys start acting like other folks and, you know, creating factions around your favorite apostles or leaders, like that's not your kingdom, right? That that's not those aren't the rules that you're supposed to be playing by There's a different playing field now than the one you're operating out of a different kingdom. That's the way of death. Let, let's get back to life. And over and over and over again, in, in so many ways, Paul is reiterating to these new Christians, 
Um, that's not your kingdom. Let's, let's talk about the one that you're a part of now. And it's it's different. I wonder about you. Um, what that's not my kingdom kind of moments have you had lately? Have you had some moments where you thought, yeah, I'm I'm not part of that. Like I, my allegiances are elsewhere. Give, a, give us some context for <laughs> people who might not know. He's been accused of inappropriate, really, really inappropriate behavior over the years by a number of women. It's been covered up by church leadership and elders, and he himself denies all of it, even though it seems extremely cut and dried that it happened and that it was inappropriate. Hmm. And I picked up the good and beautiful guidebook, and I was reading it forward, and then I turned it over because I hadn't read it in a while. I turned it over. Good. Thank you for sharing, sir. One more. For me, I'll just uh, shout out to Sarah who uh, posted this uh, video. Uh, was it NPR or CNN? Or, or, no, 60 Minutes. 60 Minutes with Oprah on the lynching uh, or on, on the, the uh, memorial that's being set up now. And that took me back to a book I'd read years ago, The uh, Cross and Lynching Tree by Cove. And just kind of some reactions I've kind of gotten, you know, from folks. Um, you know, and your mom All positive, posted, I'm sure. Yeah, and your mom posted that great article. Uh, or, yeah, and uh, so I, uh, I got, kind of got a reaction. You know, okay, acknowledge now, just move on. You know, and it's like, that's not my kingdom. You know, we don't, we have, uh, to give context to that, we have, as white people ignored an entire history. And I read an article this last week about the fear that people were getting about the Holocaust. And why do we remember those? So they don't happen again. Mm -hmm. And we acknowledge our part Mm -hmm. in the atrocity, whether it's, you know, when you go to the Jewish people and they we were slaves in Egypt. We remember mm-hmm. our history because we were there. Yeah. 
in some way. And so we bear that burden as well. Yeah. So. Yep, that's good. Um, so last week, Paul talked about the first chapter of First Corinthians, where um, there's all this disunity in the church in Corinth, Greece, because they're doing what folks in the surrounding kingdom, as it were, were very keen to do. And that's pick favorites and take sides and form factions um, with the apostles and Christian leaders the same way they would with wisdom philosophers that would come into the the courts of the city and and show off their rhetoric and their persuasive power. And Paul is saying um, that that's not the kingdom you're part of. Um, you follow a crucified Messiah and everything comes to unity in him. So you should be one, not not many. You have one leader, not many. Um, and so in this text we're in today, in Second Corinthians uh, chapter two, ver- verses six through sixteen, especially, he is kind of peeling back a little bit more of the logic that's going on to motivate these different kingdoms. And you know, if if uh, um, if we use a metaphor from our current political system, you know, what is what is the think tank? Of God's kingdom. What what is the well of wisdom that motivates, that inspires, that gives imagination for a different way of being? And that's what Paul is going to explore. And so I'm just going to work through this text. Um, If you want to get out your Bible or your app, I'm going to just do a running commentary today and kind of talk through some of this and then um, dig into a couple implications, uh, I think, of this of this text. Well, misconceptions more, more accurately. So uh, I'm going to start in verse four and um, yeah, I'm going to ask somebody to, to skip ahead a chapter in a second and, and read a verse. So um, if we have at least one paperback out there, I see some, so we'll be good. So part, Paul starts by saying um, my message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words in verse four of chapter two. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. So Paul, again, he's contrasting himself with these really famous uh, preacher philosopher guys of the day. And he's saying, I didn't have all their snazz and rhetoric. I didn't have all their pizzazz. uh, But I did have a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Okay, what is a demonstration of the Spirit's power. Where, what's the power that Paul is drawing on? Well, it reminded me, made me think of a story that, that um, it's a, one of Paul's colleagues, but I think it, it shows us what that might look like. Remind me of the story of how in Acts chapters 10 and 11, there is this Roman officer named Cornelius. And he is not Jewish. Uh, he is a Roman officer. He's what you call a God-fearer. This is somebody who has affinity for Torah, for for Israelite Jewish tradition, for Yahweh, all of that. Um, he's faithful. He prays. He gives to the poor. And one day he's in prayer and he gets this vision. An angel approaches him and says, hey, you need to go and get this guy named Peter because there's something you need to learn from him. 
And so Cornelius sends a couple of his guys uh, from Caesarea Maritima on the coast north of Jerusalem a bit um, down the coast to Joppa, which is right on the coast. And that's where Peter is. They tell the spirit tells them, the angel tells them, here's where you need to go to find him. So as they're on their way down there, Peter is on the top of his friend's house, hanging out. He's praying. He has this vision of a cloud uh, or of a, a blanket or a sheet kind of descending from the heavens. And on the sheet are all of these, uh, what he would consider unclean, non-kosher animals. And he hears this voice, hey, uh, take and kill and eat. Um, and he's like, wait, hold on, wait a minute. Um, no, this must be a test because those are all four-legged kind of hoofed creatures and animals and that's off limits. That, those are unclean animals. I'm not going to do that. And God says to Peter in this vision, don't call anything unclean that I've made clean. Take it and eat it. Peter's like, huh, well, that's not how I was reading my Bible. And so Peter gets out of this trance. His friend comes up and says, uh, hey, there's these guys at the door and they're here for you. And Peter gets this sense from the Holy Spirit. I need to go and see what this is about. And we probably need to go with these guys and just do what they say. Sure enough, they say, hey, we're here for this guy, Cornelius. He, sense, he really sense in God wants you to talk to him. So Peter's like, let's go. So he takes a few people with him. They go up north back to Caesarea. They meet Cornelius. Cornelius is like, hey, I had this vision. Paul's like, yeah, um, uh, this is not normal for me either. Um, but I feel like I should be here. And Cornelius is like, well, will you come into my house? And Peter's like, well, I had this dream. And it was all about how uh, unclean things are turned clean. And so I feel like God has given me some permission to be around, you know, for, for a Jewish guy to go into a non-Jewish person's home was not kosher. It would contaminate you religiously and spiritually. But God uses this vision or trance that Peter has. So he goes in and there's this whole crew of people that Cornelius knows. And Peter starts telling them about Jesus, the Messiah, and how uh, he he was the he's the Messiah. He was killed. Uh, for the forgiveness of sins and he was raised from, um, to life and folks who believe in him can have life in his name. And while he's preaching all of these people in this place where they're at, they start praising God and some of them start speaking in different languages. And uh, they're like, what is going on here? This is a lot like when we were in Jerusalem and the Holy Spirit came upon folks and they started speaking all of these Languages, the, the Holy Spirit must be at work in these non-Jewish folk. God must be giving us some cues that something is going on for them to be. They need to be a part of this Jesus thing and this kingdom, too. And so I guess, I mean, they have the spirit just like we got the spirit. And so they should get baptized, too. And so they get baptized. And um, I want I think that's the kind of thing that Paul is thinking about. When he says, I, we had this demonstration of the Spirit's power. In the sense that he came preaching what was otherwise a pretty ridiculous message about a Jewish leader whose greatest victory was being crucified and then raised from the dead. 
And some people actually believed it. And they started praising God for it. Uh, Who in their right mind would believe that kind of thing? Paul is saying that is a demonstration of the power of the Holy Spirit. The fact that you all came to faith and put your hope in Christ. Some of you might have even started speaking in different languages and getting these insights that you wouldn't have had otherwise from the Holy Spirit. Paul's saying that that's the character of my ministry. The power didn't come from me. I, I can't move in your hearts like that. But here you are. You have this allegiance to Jesus. Um, there's power in that. But Paul says, but it's not just power. It's not like we're not interested in wisdom. Uh, your guys have their own particular brand of wisdom. We have a different kind of wisdom. Verse six. We speak a message of wisdom among the mature. You got it up here. Thank you, John. Among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age or of the rulers of this age. The wisdom of this age being those wisdom philosophers. The rulers of this age being those Roman authorities um, or the guys up on CNN talking back and forth to each other. Those are the rulers of this day. Um, I'd also um, like to point out, you know, it says the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing. I'd like to observe uh, Rome has kind of collapsed. Anybody notice that? Um, And here we are a long time later, still talking about Paul and the spirit of God. We've got our own rulers of this age now. But those rulers of the age, they did, in fact, come to nothing. Um, Their their tenure was fleeting. Um, So I I just wanted to observe that. Verse seven. No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery A mystery that's been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. The mystery being the crucified Messiah. That God heals the the world through his suffering and death and resurrection rather than through dominating violent power and victory. None of the rulers of this age, verse 8, understood it. For if they had, they wouldn't have crucified Jesus. However, it's written in Isaiah. Let me use some scripture to back up my claim here. Since you guys, you know, have an affinity for the Hebrew Bible too, what no eye has seen, a standard way of discerning truth and wisdom, what no ear has heard, a standard human way of understanding and discerning wisdom, what no mind has comprehended or conceived, the standard way that we discern wisdom, we couldn't get it through these means and otherwise. He's revealed his wisdom otherwise to us by his spirit. Verse 10. So uh, Paul, he quotes scripture as if to connect the revelation of the spirit with the revelation of scripture. Maybe you've heard before, um, you know, if you're receiving truth from the Holy Spirit, the spirit will never tell you something that contradicts what you find in the Bible. Have you all heard something like that? Okay. Let me reflect on that story with Peter a little bit. Because... (laughs) uh, The Spirit tells Peter to go against Scripture as he understood it. Isn't that fascinating? Uh, I think there is absolutely complete consonance with with the story of God in Scripture and, and what the Spirit of God would tell us. However, our interpretations of that story, our ways of understanding that story, are up to be challenged by the Spirit. It is possible that we can misinterpret Scripture. And so we need to be very careful to say, well, 
the way it, the Spirit of God always lines up with the way that I understand the Bible. Because that could be BS. That, that could be the very thing that the Holy Spirit is trying to subvert. Right? That's what he did with Peter. Peter would never have gone there unless he subverted the way that he was interpreting the Bible. Isn't that fascinating? The Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. Just like a person's spirit knows their thoughts, in the same way, the Spirit of God knows the thoughts of God. Verse 12, it's like the, it's coming to a culmination here. What we have received isn't the spirit of the world, it's the spirit who's from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. Who's the we in this verse? What we have received? Is it Paul? Is it just Paul? Is it Paul and the apostles? You know, I think we could make that case they're certainly included, but there's a broader claim here. He's not just talking about himself, though he is kind of trying to make a case that he's legitimate. He's talking about the Corinthian Christians as well. All of us have not received the spirit of the world. We receive the spirit of God so that we can freely understand what's been taught and given to us. Um, Would somebody read, skip ahead to chapter 3, verse 16, and just read that verse real quick. Don't you know that you yourselves are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? Okay, so Paul says to the church in Corinth, you collectively together are the temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit lives in you. All right, let's put all this together. So the think tank of the kingdom of God is the Holy Spirit, right? The way we know the wisdom of God, the way of God, how how to live, how to function, how to serve, how to move forward in this world. That's the spirit of God. And the Spirit of God is in us. Like if you've been a Christian for a while, maybe that, you know, that seems comfortable. Um, uh, But like the like you were saying about how we kind of get desensitized to the trauma of the cross. I think we get desensitized to the uh, the amazing claim that the Spirit of God that taps in to the deepest, most brilliant, most crafty wisdom in all of the universe That it resides in us and among us as God's people. We have access to the deep things of God because the Spirit of God dwells in us and among us. That's amazing. Verse 14, the person without the Spirit, that's a bad translation. This is literally a natural person. So uh, natural people. And Paul is saying like natural people as opposed to spiritual people. So so he's not talking about non-Christians, the person without the spirit. He's talking about Corinthian Christians who were living out of a different kingdom. Right. They were defaulting to their old way of life, their old value systems. He's saying that's the natural person. That's human default to divide and split up and measure wisdom by outward appearance and flash and all of that. No, no, you can't understand the things of the spirit. He's not saying non-Christians can't. Well, folks, non-Christians can't either. But I think that's not his argument here. He's saying it's possible that you're following Jesus and you have this natural, fleshly, worldly kind of mindset. And so you can't understand the things of the spirit because you're still living in the wrong kingdom. 
That's why I'd say they don't accept things that come from the spirit of God, namely the foolishness that is this crucified Messiah. Uh, They can't understand them because they're discerned only through the spirit. Who's known the mind of the Lord? I mean, can you really approve on the mind of the Lord? And he says it again. We have the mind of Christ. We have the spirit of God, the deep wisdom of God. All right, let me let me rattle off a couple of misconceptions, I think, that could really that we could commonly have about what Paul is saying here. Misconception number one, um, either this doesn't happen at all or it doesn't happen anymore. And it being that that we could actually receive communication and wisdom and revelation from God for us. For what we need to do, how we need to live. Um, You know, there's an old move in conservative Christian circles. It was present in the one in the fellowship I grew up in um, called cessationism. Right. I saw some eye rolls. I love it. Uh, I roll. I'm rolling my eyes with you, which means all that stuff happened back then. And then it stopped. It ceased. Right. So the apostles, they got these great experiences. They had these dreams and experiences with the Holy Spirit. And then that don't happen no more because we got the Bible now. We're good. We don't need you, Holy Spirit. We got the Bible. Right. Um, I think there's a broader cultural context that's making that kind of claim plausible. And that is this modernist enlightenment kind of world that we live in. You know, post-scientific revolution, where back for, for thousands of years, the world was this enchanted place. Um, like if you imagine our view of reality like a box. Um, for, for hundreds and hundreds and thousands of years, there was no lid on the box. The world that we lived in was open to the transcendent. And we had this sense that there were spiritual forces at work, that there was more that met, the, that, that met the eye. There were spiritual realms out there that helped to explain the things that we couldn't understand or see or whatever. Um, what, what philosopher Charles Taylor would call the transcendent frame. That was the way, the enchanted world that we lived in. Now, come, along come modernity and enlightenment and scientific revolution And what happens, but we put a lid on that box. And instead of a transcendent frame, it becomes this closed, imminent frame where there's nothing beyond this box that we live in. There's no transcendence beyond it. There's no spiritual dynamics or realms or realities. Really, the only reason we had those things is because we didn't have science. And now we have science. We can understand everything. And so we don't need, well, that's what people did when they were superstitious and they, they didn't understand what was really going on. I mean, I would wonder how well we still really understand like quantum entanglement and stuff like that in physics and such. Um, we're still grasping. But all that to say is it put a lid on the box so that talking about like spiritual realities and being communicated with from something beyond the five senses that I have all that kind of went away and, and it made it all the more plausible to say, oh, yeah, all that stuff just stopped back in that enchanted world that the apostles were part of. And now, but now we're part of a disenchanted world. Really, the world is haunted where we wonder if there's still 
something there. But we've kind of made up our minds. I'm not saying we as Christians, but our broader, more secular environment has said there's a lid on this box. Now, Corinthians, pagan Corinthians wouldn't have said that at all. They were very religious and spiritual. So that, that wasn't going on with Paul, but it goes on with us. And I think that that can keep us that that larger cultural frame, um, the secular frame. And, this, and by secular, I mean um, the lid is on the box and there's nothing beyond this. That can keep us from living in this world where we think, yeah, that doesn't really happen. That, that doesn't really exist. There's not really spiritual realities at work beyond what we can see. The second misconception, I would say, is just good old individualism. Um, when we read this kind of text, when we read the Bible, we read it and think, "Ooh, I have the Holy Spirit and and I can access the deep things of God. Now I must get to my prayer closet and figure out all of these wise things so that I can be learned all by myself. And I can do I mean, I I can do again. It's another project of modernity to think that we could do it all by our lonesomes, right? That we have the Holy Spirit all by ourselves. But Paul says Well, you do have the spirit within you, but you also have the spirit within you all. You are together a temple of the Holy Spirit. And and Paul wouldn't say, oh, yeah, just tune into the spirit by yourself in your prayer closet and you'll know everything you need to do. That's not how he operated. Later in the chapter, he's talking about when you come together uh, later on in in, uh, the letter, 1 Corinthians 14. He's talking about, okay, you got some prophets who are wanting to bring revelation. Okay, let them give revelation so that you can all weigh it. Well, so so there there's this thing like um, you don't automatically hear something from the spirit and like it's boom, the deep wise things of God. No, it has to be discerned. You have to weigh it. It has to be interpreted. It takes a community to understand and to grasp the wisdom of the spirit. It's a communal project. It makes me think about Acts 15, where all of these stories have happened with like Cornelius and Peter and Paul and Barnabas have been out seeing God work among non-Jewish folks. Nobody expected that. And so they get together and they argue and they share their stories. Well, this happened. How do you explain Cornelius and the Holy Spirit and all of that, except that God is welcoming the Gentiles, the non-Jewish, into the kingdom of God. We shouldn't make them follow the law of Moses to be able to do that. So they they argue and debate. And and when they send this letter out to all the churches about what they should do, you know what they say? They say, it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us that you shouldn't make non-Jewish folks follow the law of Moses. They're this new situation. But the way they described it, it was in this communal process of discernment that they understood what the Spirit was telling them. Um, None of this is to say that practices of silence and solitude personally aren't important. Um, Peter, in that story I told, he was by himself praying on a rooftop. Uh, But he he didn't figure out what it meant until he got into relationships. Right. Cornelius, he had a trance himself while he was in prayer in solitude. Uh, but it, he didn't know what it meant until he got into relationships with people. I think that's similar for us. It's the same thing with us. Um, discerning the spirit is a communal project. So we can't just boldly say after we come out of our prayer closet, you know what God told me? You know, Paul would say, hold on a second. Have you passed that by anybody who's godly? 
or mature or following Jesus, what do they think about it? Then you can tell me it comes from God. It's got to be weighed first, which is the reason uh, we have discipleship groups and not individual personal discipleship. It's the reason on Friday night that me and Ryan and Michael and Alex sit around a table and go around and share what we feel like God is speaking to us about. And then we say, but what do you guys think about that? And, and without fail, every time in that kind of environment, we learn something, we discern something that we could not see before it was shared. Because the Spirit is at work in all of us. The reason this is so important is because all of us are still in transition. All of us are still moving from that other kingdom into the kingdom of God. All of us are being made holy. All of us are still somewhat in our flesh and somewhat in the Spirit. And so it's possible for us to say, oh, God told me that. When really, it's just our flesh speaking. We're not aware of it. We need each other to check that. Oh, I'm getting going. Um, in, in what ways do you wrestle with these kind of conceptions about um, receiving wisdom from the Spirit? Maybe, maybe, it's, maybe it's those conceptions about um, the, uh, the lid on the box, you know, and, and it really not being possible, or the conception of it being this individual endeavor rather than a community project. Maybe it's other conceptions about receiving wisdom from the Spirit. How, how, do you, how are you wrestling with these conceptions about receiving wisdom from the Spirit? It just irritates me that you never seem to speak to me directly. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, and, and it's, I, mean, it, I say that jokingly. But, you know, um, sometimes we get the idea that I've got to hear something. I've got to have this incredible impression for, uh, to, to get some sort of message from the Spirit. And yet, the very, the very fact is sometimes, or most of the time, it's when we are together that the community says something. And that's the challenge. And that's the Spirit actually speaking. Not that I had this emotional charge. Now, occasionally, I, I have felt that from the Spirit. Mm-hmm. I think it was from the Spirit. But mm-hmm. it never agrees with me. <laughs> yeah, really the people yeah. that I run into that are saying, "Oh, you know, the Spirit spoke to me." It's always amazing how it always agrees yeah. with what they're originally thinking. Yeah, that's right. That's a, that's kind of a yellow flag, maybe a red flag. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, and I, I will. I want to submit that that good communal discernment of the Spirit's leading is built on openness personally, right? Like we have to be in our prayer closets. We have to be in silence and solitude, um, hearing, seeking to hear from the spirit personally. Um, but it really it, it that doesn't come to life. That doesn't get confirmed. That doesn't solidify until we bring it into the life of the community of other people. Yeah. Sometimes you hear things around the table with people, and sometimes 
Microwave discernment. Okay, we know that now. Yeah, the buzzer ding. So yeah, it takes time. Yeah, and it's messy. It's not. Um, it's hard. Yeah. Well, and I think if we didn't, which probably most of us did not grow up to really embrace the spirit, I think if something does happen, it kind of takes us back. And there was a situation that happened one time in my life that. I mean, I can remember Daryl was there, and he looked at me and he said, did that just happen? <laughs> uh, yeah. And it was a situation where there was a lot of stuff going on at church, and I was very angry, and I was upset, and I just was very, told God I needed a son. I mean, I just threw that fleece out there because mm-hmm. I was about done. Mm-hmm. And when it was like it happened with someone that could not know anything about this whole situation and that person was at a restaurant with us and walked across the parking lot and came over there and said I don't understand this but God told me to give you this pen and she took this angel pen off her clothes and handed it to me and I just sat there like dumbfounded and Daryl said did that just happen and I said yeah and I, it was like one of those spirit things that I was just like. And later on, I found out from her sister that she said she was wrestling with God and said, but my sister gave me this pen. And she said, he said, I don't care. You need to go give it to her. She needs hmm. That never happened to me. Spirit's giving you a little, and little a little wink there. of that kind of like, that is just totally weird. Kind of thing. Uh-huh. Well, and, and it is um, the... Um, our cultural location makes us feel kind of uncomfortable and heebie-jeebie. But yeah. the the lid on the box makes us feel, yeah. mm, ah, right? Um, but I mean, that's the, the those are the kinds of stories of scripture. I mean, Peter getting a vision or a trance, right? Um, okay, I have another question, and let, let, let's just pop out like topics, or we'd have to get deep into it. But I think it's a important question. What kinds of things? Do we need the wisdom of the Spirit for right now? For us, for storyline, what kinds of things do you, do we need the wisdom of the Spirit for right now? Parenting. Yes. Enough said. Parenting. I'm with you, honey. Yeah, what else? I still need it on parenting. Yeah. We we need you to have it on parenting so that you can tell us what it is. Still working on raising my <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. What else? Yeah. Just for relationships. Man, those are 
Those are complicated, right? We need wisdom. Yes. Belong, believe. Belong, believe. Old school, you must believe before you can belong to the uh-huh. church. The new shift is come belong and you eventually believe. Uh-huh. It's a double-edged sword both ways. Uh-huh. You can wind up with a bunch of... You know what I'm saying? Yep. You need wisdom. We need wisdom. Because, because, because human nature, because the devil, because of carnality. It's like both ways have a good celebration. Yeah. And God can be in the middle and fall on belief. Yep. Right on. What else? Hearing, uh, I feel like getting the message that it's possible to have unity in the midst of diversity, and there are a lot of different types of diversity. Mm-hmm. And the sense of like a yes and me and then some other people, but like when the rubber hits the road, how does that actually happen when you have strong disagreement? Yep. And I don't know. I, I feel like it happens. Probably different than any situation, but yeah, that's a big one. Uh, we need deep wisdom for ways that we disagree with we, we, each other, or would take um, different tacks at stuff than other people. Yeah, and also like hmm, the tension between authenticity and together and how we I think there are deep wells of conversation in that one comment. Um, what about wisdom for how to love our LGBTQ neighbors? What about wisdom for race relations and racial justice? Lord, have mercy. Um, what about wisdom for our marriages? And how to love each other well in our marriages. What about wisdom for our faith journeys? To know uh, how to deconstruct and reconstruct with wisdom. Um, how about wisdom for, for inviting and seeing our non-believing friends come to Christ and come into the kingdom? How about wisdom for knowing how to share good news with them in a way that makes sense? We need all kinds of wisdom. Um, Whenever we start to wonder, how do we figure this out? What in the world do we do now? That is our cue to ask the Spirit of God. That is our cue to stop and listen and receive and discuss what's coming to us as we listen. Um, Okay. I have to tell this story. Uh, some church planners, we did an assessment retreat last weekend. And a couple of the folks, Blake and Katie, that were a part of that retreat, actually went to high school with Blake, which is crazy. He's a good guy. And they, over the, the course of the last several years, have been sensing God calling them into mission and into church planning. And we were a day into this retreat as the beginning of the second day. And they'd already talked all about, you know, how they sent, you know, they told their calling story. And we've had all these interviews by this point. Now they've shared some of their vision about how they might do it. And one of the members of the assessment team um, uh, 
just started to kind of inquire more deeply about their calling and to, to kind of probe into it. You know, they want to work in particular with the Lakota people, Native American First Nations folks in South Dakota. Uh, Katie is part Sioux. She has three Native siblings, and there's this deep connection and sense like we we want to serve and love the this particular group of people one of the assessors asked well you know i mean i'm i'm german um but that doesn't necessarily mean that i'm called to germany to serve as a missionary um you know how do you really know how do you know that god is calling you to serve the lakota people i mean you, you you're both um pretty white i mean you're part part native but like you know, you've heard from people like we don't need more white missionaries right among the the Lakota. The, that doesn't make sense. You know, there's danger there. So what is it uh, about you guys that how do you know that God is calling you into this? Blake says, well, I'm really hesitant to share this, um, especially because I know there's some Church of Christ people in the room. He's like, and I don't really share this with people that I don't know very well. Um, But um, about four years ago, I had a dream. And in the dream, I saw this graveyard. And I just assumed, I mean, God was stirring in me about missionary work at that point. I just assumed that graveyard was a symbol of things I needed to die to. You know, that our family needed to give up and sacrifice to participate in the mission. Uh, in January, we went to South Dakota and we um, went to the, the big Lakota reservation there and we visited the site called Wounded Knee. Y'all heard of Wounded Knee? Um, Wounded Knee is the site where in 1890, uh, soldiers from the colonies killed 150 women and children and men and they dug a big pit. And they put them all in the pit and they buried them there. This mass burial site. And then they gave medals of honor to the folks who did the killing. Um, They went and visited that massacre site at Wounded Knee. And while Blake was there, he remembers this dream. Oh my God. That wasn't a metaphor of a graveyard. That was this place. That was this Graveyard. God is calling us to this people. And I was hesitant to share that, but that's how I know. That's how I know God is calling us to the Lakota people. You know what? Every single person on the assessment team, we're in this environment of discernment. Every single one of us. I mean, it's just dead quiet. And all of us say, that is the story you have to tell. Because we felt it, too. We felt the spirit moving in that environment of discernment to confirm the calling through the experiences uh, that Blake and Katie were having. And I know that sounds crazy and ridiculous, but um, I think that kind of stuff still happens today. If if we live in an open box, if the spirit of God lives in the people of God, if we're open to him revealing to us the deep things of God, we've got to believe that that kind of stuff can still happen, that the Holy Spirit can give us the wisdom we need to navigate all of these things that we're wondering, 
How do we figure this out? We can't figure it out. But the Holy Spirit knows the deep, the deep things of God. The Holy Spirit knows the wisdom of God. Hear the good news. Uh, the Holy Spirit lives in you. The Holy Spirit dwells among us. The temple of God. The people of God. The Holy Spirit gives us access, if we'll only make ourselves available, gives us access together in discernment to the wisdom of God in Christ. Everybody said, Amen. Amen.